Well, good morning. Wow. Good morning. Great to see you today. I wonder, Eric, did, did you maybe not shower today? Or is that why everybody's kind of drifted this way on you? No. It's great to see you this morning. I remind you, context change, people stay the same. What we're dealing with here, or what they were dealing with then, is what we're dealing with now. Maybe change names, change faces, so to speak. Essentially, it's the same. So when we look at the word of God, we always know that it's relevant to us. It's always speaking to us. I don't understand that word, or I don't, I, you know, it's, it, I'm telling you, the truth is eternal, it's lasting, and it's always speaking. We try too hard. Uh, again, we, we, try to, we try to find it. We try to make ourselves happy. We try this. We, try, we even try to make ourselves justified or, or right or, or uh, religious, whatever it is. We try too hard. We try too hard. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So moving into today, so for two chapters, we've looked at kind of concepts, ideas, um, uh, so this is the truth. This is, uh, I'm presenting this to you. And now, just like all books do in the Bible, it moves from these are the concepts, this is the truth, to now how does it live out in my life? Where specifically might it be applied to my life? And so we kind of go down to where the rubber meets the road. And um, this morning, I want to start this with a with video. And so... Somebody, uh, I, they show this at professional things, and evidently nine out of ten people uh, do not get all four right, but it's kind of a cute little video. You'll understand uh, as you watch this. So I'll admit to you, uh, I didn't get one right until the last one because I started to catch on. But evidently, like one out of 10 of us will only get all four of them right. They show this at business seminars. The whole idea is, is that we tend to overthink things. Our mind complicates things so much. And that is where he is going to start. You know, every pastor has a different approach to ministry and I've been in this long enough that I have people ask me you know well, why don't you do this or why do you do that or uh, you know like why, why don't you give an invitation every Sunday or why do you hardly ever give invitations or why do you do this why do you do that and I, I've got to be who I am right I, I have learned that so far that if you try to be somebody else then you're 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 in trouble and um so I've just got to be who I am. But I also have uh, understood in ministry as I jumped into the word of God and began to just allow it to saturate my life, I began to realize that the word is always telling us that it is wanting to engage our mind. It is wanting the truth that it has. It's about getting us into it's about that truth becoming a part of how we think. And I realized that of the roles I have and the teaching being a part of that role, 
or one of those roles, that my biggest objective is to be every Sunday simply speaking to your mind, engaging your mind with the word of God. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not necessarily supposed to preach to an emotional response or, or other things. I am, I'm called to simply engage your mind with the truth that's in the word of God. Allow his spirit to apply that in whatever ways he wants to because the scriptures tell us uh, the mind is the starting place. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if what we think will become what we or how we behave. I can sit down and have a conversation with you and you can talk to me about what you believe, about what's important to you, about how you think, and I will tell you without fail, it will become, I, I can tell you without fail, I can then probably tell you some of the behaviors you have and some of the things that you do because our thinking drives the boat. And you know what? The word knows that. The spirit of God who's perfect in wisdom and in truth. As he shifts gears here in this greater thing that Jesus is. And, and he's presented all of what it is. And, and who he is. And, and that he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need human wisdom. It's not, hey, just throw Jesus into the mix. And, but you need some more. And you need to, you know. Or it's not, hey, it's not Jesus plus religion. And, and all these things human effort it's Jesus plus nothing that when he when he switches gears and says this is how it looks in your life guess where he begins with the mind you know I, I really um my wife's in this service this morning so she can vouch for this but uh I'm probably I am my own worst enemy and my mind uh it just I I overcomplicate things and um so this to me is so important because I truly believe that as we allow the, the word of God to saturate our minds, as we open our hearts or our minds to his truth, it begins to create uh, different thinking patterns, different beliefs, different mindset. Um, you know what the word is teaching here and what behavioral science has definitely taught us is that we do not have to be captive to our thoughts. Do, are you following me? Maybe I'm not saying that right. You know, I can have a, a thought go through my mind and so often it's like, well, I just think these things. You know, it's what goes through my head. Um, I can have some I really try not to share some of this because you just find out how weird I am. But, um, you know, I, I, listen, I can have a thought, like I've, I've had this thought before and, and don't misunderstand me, okay? But like I've stood on a really tall building on the roof and this, the thoughts went through my mind. I wonder what it'd be like just to take off running and jump. Now, I, I, don't, I wasn't gonna do that. I don't have any desire to do that. But you just have that thought go through your mind, right? I mean, anybody ever had those weird thoughts? I'm like totally opening up here and you guys are like, you are weird. No, I've had those thoughts. I, I, but you know, I, I guess, now if you're like me, I sit there and analyze why I had that random thought and then I get in all sorts of trouble because I start. But 
We are not, ca- the scriptures teach us right here what we're gonna read, and, and obviously behavioral science has taught us this too, that we can grab a hold of our minds and we can choose the thinking patterns that we take. Absolutely. And here's where he starts with this. Since then, chapter three, verse one, if you have a Bible, you like to, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your heart on things above. Set or seek things above. And heart and mind kind of are interchangeable here. Seek things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your heart, set your mind. The words there too are kind of, it intensifies a little bit. It's to seek, and then it is to intensely focus. And what it is saying is in this matter of how God is going to then flesh out, Jesus is gonna flesh out the greater life that he has for me because he is greater and he is in me, Jesus, who is your life, um, since you have been raised with Christ, all this deal, we are in him, right? The big idea of chapter two and the big thing is Christ in you. Since that has happened, first thing you need to make sure you do is you need to keep your mind focused on things above. Well, if you're simple like me, you read that and I begin to think things above, set my mind on things above. Am I thinking about heaven? Am I thinking about heaven all the time? Um, I'm thinking, well, that's not very practical or that's not very helpful in this world, right? Uh, trying to have a comment, just thinking about heaven, you know, kind of, what? Um, you know, I guess most of us, when we come down to the end of our lives, we think about that more, right? Um, but I made a comment in the first service about when you get to be 80 years old, you start to think about that. And I thought, oh, I better not say that. There might be somebody here that's like 87 and they're like, hey, you know, but um, when we come to the end, we think, but are we, set your mind on things above. Is that just thinking about heaven all the time? What does that phrase mean? You need to look at it more and more. And basically it's set your mind on God's truth, God's plan, God's will, which culminates in God's word. Set your mind on that. Grab a hold of your mind. Grab a hold of it. You can do that. Now, you can't stop random thoughts, right? You can't, like, you know, they, they come in. But you can, you and I absolutely can dictate the thinking patterns that we create in our minds. And he's saying, listen, if you want the greater life that Jesus has for you, you are going to have to grab a hold of your mind and allow yourself to stay focused on him, his truth. That's why, that's why we talk about allowing this to, to uh, inform us. 
that's why it's important for this to speak to us, for us to uh, take it in, because it's what begins to inform our minds and it fills our minds with truth. And, 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 and so I can grab a hold and say, you know what? I can sit here and go down all this road thinking, or I can stop that and say, you know what? I refuse to live with those thinking patterns. I am going to think how God has called me to think. And he says, do that. Grab a hold of your mind. And I would say this, Jesus is greater, so our minds dwell on him. Set your mind on things above. So we got that, right? The progression of that, how he's rolling into that, starts with the mind. And then he moves into this, this rubber meets the road, real stuff, okay? Um, let's just call it out, so to speak, Jesus or Paul here. And he uses this phrase right here, verse five. Put to death. I'm studying this this week, and I'm thinking, oh, that's positive. <laughs> You're gonna love that, put to death, you know. Amen. Hey, this word... This word is a, is a strong word. Put to death is put to death. It's modern day murder. It's actually, the Bible is actually saying violence is okay here in this kind of context. Put to death. The old phrase for some of you King James, maybe, or the version, mortify, 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 put to death, murder. Now, Jesus understood this. Remember him talking in these kind of, this is the kind of ballpark we're in. Jesus said this, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal life. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is some radical language, isn't it? I've actually met people who literally, or I haven't met people, I've read about people who literally, you know, hey, I'm not quite sure, I don't know what Jesus was meaning there. He was making a very, very, very strong statement about this issue of sin. And we should have this kind of attitude toward sin. See that strong statement? That's the same kind of ballpark Paul is here, put to death. Jesus is saying this radical language. Paul, in other places in Romans, uses this. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now this is interesting, because Paul's writing this, this book, and he's moving into what does the believer do with sin? This is the chapter that it says, should we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. What, does, what do we do with sin? Uh, now that we found him, what happens with sin? And he says, first of all, you need to count yourself dead to sin, or reckon yourself dead. Man, if you're like me and you're thinking about this new life in Jesus and you have been captivated and enslaved to certain sinful behaviors, you're thinking, how? 
I've had those thoughts like, there's no way I could be free from this. And he says, you know what? I want you to first of all count yourself, reckon yourself. You need to believe that I can do it. Believe it, reckon it, count it. It's not even happened yet, but you're already banking on it that Christ Jesus can bring victory. Believe. They talk about this in athletics all the time, right? Guys will tell you, I first of all had to believe I could do it before I did it. Well, that's life. And that's the way it is with what happens to sin in my life. I first of all embrace the reality that I can be free. I reckon it. I count it. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil, evil behaviors. Here's the 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. The key phrase there is offer yourselves. That's a word for yield. It's a word for surrender. Paul is saying, listen, right here, put to death. What does that mean? It means turn that over to him. Turn from it, believe that you can be free from it, and put it to death, man. Turn to him, okay? Now, as Paul was writing Romans, he continued to help us understand how that happens. Verse chapter eight. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to live to the flesh. Now remember, the flesh is not necessarily, oh, this is sinful and evil, okay? You have to understand when they say flesh, it's talking about our sinful nature, not flesh. You're not bad. You're not supposed to, to, uh, to not live according to the flesh. Well, how am I supposed to live? I'm flesh and bone. It's, it's using this uh, sinful nature. Don't live according to your sinful nature. Live, uh, do not, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And this is how he continues this thought and this flows right into Colossians. But if, what? By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What has Colossians just talked about the first two chapters? The big idea, the big deal is Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit is now in you. And when he calls us to put to death, it's always through this understanding that you and I cannot put it to death. It's Christ in us, helping us, enabling us to put to death sinful behavior in our lives. So now he's gonna move into how does that apply into their lives and our lives. And I would start this by saying two things. One, anytime God makes a command, it's actually a promise. God does not ask something of us that is not possible. Amen. That would not be just. So when he says, he calls us to put to death something, guess what he is absolutely telling us can happen. Hey, you got that? God's commands are really God's promises. 
And really, God's commands are not some God up there just arbitrarily trying to make life a little more difficult on us. It's not like some kind of evil ruler who gets kind of thrill out of telling you you have to do something and you have to do it. God's commands are simply his redirection back into his original purpose. And his original purpose was for us to live a life full, content, I mean, to the best life possible. So his commands are simply ways to redirect us back to how that can happen. But we're so fallen, we are so sinful, we look at that and we're like, oh, it's a command. This is so hard. Why, God, why would you crimp my life? Or it's like he's saying, this isn't crimping your life. I'm actually trying to redirect you back to what I created you to have and to do and to be and to enjoy. Remember, God's commands are God's promises. And two, sin is a misuse of God's gifts to us. It's a distortion. Sin is God's given us stuff, things, or parts of our lives, and we begin to, we begin to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in those things rather than in the giver. And we misuse, we move, we mis, we, we distort God's original purpose. So with these in mind, what does he immediately jump into? Verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Boom, we're gonna jump right in. Sexual immorality. Now, obviously, that is pertinent in our day. It was pertinent in their day. Uh, I mean, you have people coming to, to Christ from religions where they would literally go to the temple and worship their God, and it included sexual activity. A very distorted view of this great gift that God has given to mankind. You see, God has given us sexual intimacy as a, it's a grace, it's a loving expression from him. It obviously is his way of, of procreating the earth. But it's also the scriptures teach over and over. It is the way that this mystery of two becoming one, it's a part of that process. It's like, you know, like when you're a, I'm using a ratchet set and I'm, I'm turning a bolt in and I, 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 I start to tighten it up and it clicks, right? Start to click, 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 click. It just tightens that bolt in, right? The gift of sexual intimacy God has given to in a relationship between a woman and a man in marriage, it just continues to bind their hearts and their lives together. It's, it's, it's one of his great gifts. But because it's one of the most powerful things that we can ever experience, what can happen, obviously, it, be, it can be also become one of the most dangerous, distorted things, just like anything else. You give people a lot of money, what can happen? 
It can either be used for a lot of good or it can be used for a whole lot of bad. And sex is like that. God has given it to us, beautiful, and yet it has been distorted and misused in every age and every generation. And he calls it, and for whatever reason, this is something the scriptures, all, I say for whatever reason, there's obviously a reason, that sounds like, but he calls us to, if you want the greater life that Jesus has for you, then there will be an expression of God's sexuality in your life that honors him, that is what he originally designed. What is that? What, he says sexual immorality, that word is fornication, or it also has kind of a root of a porn. We get the word pornography from this same root word. A distortion of what God, it, what does the scriptures understand as sexual immorality? Any kind of sexual activity or sexual act outside of the bonds of a marriage between a man and a woman. Is that pretty clear? Amen? Amen. I'm not telling you anything new today, am I? He says the people of God, we reflect God's glory and we honor God when we live out this part of our life in the way that he created it to be. And he said, put to death any kind of sexual sin. Man, we live in a, a culture that's saturated with it, right? Um, I, I noticed not long ago they were, they were selling hamburgers with a sexual connotation. I'm thinking, what in the world? A hamburger, you know, and the commercial. I'm like, in our day, this ability to fall into sexual misconduct is so prevalent and so easy. A couple clicks on a computer, and you can fill your mind with images, right? So, this is so relevant to all of us. Because when we put to death this area of our life that's wrong, I'm not saying put to death this area of your life, but to death when it's lived out wrongly, we absolutely reveal to a broken and fallen world what Jesus Christ can do in our lives. To see a married couple having a healthy relationship like that just proclaims what God has designed and what God can do. You know, numbers would tell, tell us, and again, I'm just saying numbers, I, I'm not, but numbers would tell us that there's no doubt I, I very well might be speaking to people who are struggling with sexual addiction. It's so prevalent. And I would remind you Jesus, the Lord doesn't ever call us to something that he hasn't promised that he can set us free. And so when he says put to death sexual immorality, guess what he's promising? I can set you free. He continues that. It got real quiet. I know it always does. I've always wondered if I should like do a whole series on sex just to see how many people we could get in the building, you know, because people would come because it's like, whoa, that's, you know. 
He continued, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire. You know, it's carrying that thought farther that Jesus carried farther. It's, listen, immorality starts not just out of the blue. It starts with thoughts. It starts with lust. It's the same idea of Jesus saying, listen, you've said of old that I haven't committed adultery, but I will tell you that if you've looked on someone that isn't your spouse with sexual lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. That's the way God sees it. And that's why Paul's saying here, put to death, not just the fact that I haven't had an affair, put to death the, the, the thoughts, the desires, the lust. Put it all aside. Put to death. And what is he saying? It can happen in your life. And when it does, the greater life that God has for you, you're freed up. You are freed up to experience God's life. He also includes this, and greed, which is idolatry. Haven't we heard that before? Sex and money. Wasn't our world talk about this? Sex and money. The ch- absolutely put to death those things that would, that would be a misuse of God's good gifts. God gives to us resources, right? Money, absolutely. Blesses us in that way. But don't allow it to become misused misused, distorted. Don't allow that to become what you think is the big deal, what will bring you satisfaction, what will bring you fulfillment, what you pursue and seek after. Don't do that. That's just simply a gift I've given to you. Worship me. Follow me. I'm the giver. And our world is headlong in pursuit of all that stuff. And we as the people of God, we honor him we, we, we proclaim his grace and his power and his ability and that he's greater when our lives reflect, mirror his design for us in these areas in sex and money. He reminds them, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So he kind of throws in a little bit and also remember, have your parents ever done this to you? Hey, there's also consequences. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. David's like exhibit A on this, isn't he? King David falls sexually with Bathsheba. Look at the rest of his life, the consequences that he faced because of God. He reminds him, hey, and if that's not good enough, just remember. Allow this, if you're at that decision point, if you're like, ah, no big deal, remember. There's consequences to our actions. He reminds them of that. I love this verse, verse seven. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. It's possible to be free from this because Jesus in us by the power of the Holy Spirit sets us free. If we'll cooperate, if we'll put to death, if we'll surrender, if we'll offer ourselves up and say, Lord, I can't. I, don't, I can't get over this. I can't do this. I'm caught. You, you. And I begin to access him through prayer and the word and trusting him. And at that decision moment, turning and trusting him, he will bring victory. He will absolutely bring that new life, that greater life. And then he keeps going on because Paul loves lists. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, 
filthy language from your lips. Anger, that's the word for kind of smoldering. <laughs> you know, just kind of like I'm angry, but I'm not. You, you, we all know that, right? We know when somebody's angry and they just kind of, just kind of burns. That's the word here. Or rage is, it's the blow up. That's the word here. Boom! Rid yourself of these things as a habit of your life. Malice, evil thought and intent toward people. Slander, slander to speak ill of another, to slander them in a way that, you know, it's amazing to me the scriptures when they talk about words like slander and gossip, sometimes it uses the word that is the same word used for the devil because it is diabolical to, to, to slander. And that's what the devil wants us to do. If God's trying to unite us, unify us, make us a church that's together, well, what's the one thing that stops that? Slander, right? Our mouth. He says, put those things away. The world does that, man. You guys probably have workplaces where you walk in there and it's probably a lot of times they're talking about the boss, right? Or this or that, and it could be easy. He says, the people of God, we just... Our mouths are, you know, filthy language of any kind. Verse nine, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. You can't start reading. I challenge you at some point. Count the lies in Genesis. Count the lies. How many times a lie is told in Genesis? Just in Genesis. You might even start to lose count. And you know what it always does? It's destructive. He says, the people of God, we don't lie to each other. We're truthful. He says, put to death that stuff. That word is, take off is like take off a garment. Put it aside. Allow, this is how Jesus comes in and gives us the greater life. If we're willing to say, you know what, God, I want to stop that behavior, then he's willing to give us the power and the strength and the ability to stop. Amen? This is like really jazzy stuff today, isn't it? It's good though. Because you know what? When my life is absent of these things, there's freedom. And there's a cooperating relationship where he promises the power and the ability. He just needs me to take my hands off and say, do it, Lord. I give it to you. I put to death. I surrender. I offer. And when that happens, the greater life can be lived out. That's what he has. This is rubber meets the road stuff. This is practical every day. How does it look? This great Jesus, creator of the universe, holds all things together. He's the big deal. He's defeated sin. He's defeated the enemy. He's given us the hope of heaven. The big deal is Christ can be in you. But what does that mean? What does that do? It gives us power and strength in these areas of our life. More areas, but these are the ones he specifically targets today. Does that sound great? Amen. It does to me. Because you know what? These kind of things, they just really mess life up. There is no, honestly, there is no, uh, there is no happiness found in these things operating in our life.
And yet, as he calls us to put them to death, he promises us that he can and will do it in our lives. And we can be free. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is where we're at in this book. We want to know what the greater life is, or really we want to know what life in you is. You're greater, we're not greater. But as you come in, you do give us a greater life. And Lord, it involves this, where we set our minds on you, we grab hold of our minds, and we we focus on you. And Lord, it involves these areas of our lives. We can be free, Lord. We give these things to you. Maybe this morning there's people in here that are struggling with things like this. And, um, whether it be sexual sin or greed, uh, materialism, Father. Or, you know, anger, malice, rage. Lord, you've obviously given us anger in a good way. But Lord, it can be so misused. Slander. All these things, Father. You can set us free from this if we're, if we're caught in these things. And I know if we're caught in these things, our quality of life is not that great. It's something that bothers us, our conscience, our guilt. And Lord, you're just promising, hey, if you'll give it to me, if you'll surrender, if you'll offer it to me, I will set you free. Because I'm greater than those things. And so Lord, we offer ourselves up to you and in these areas of our lives, we give them to you. Father, we set our heart, or set our mind on you, on your plan, on your will. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.